of Mr. Nice Guy, I'm Ben Slowey. Today on the show, I have a good old friend of mine who I seem to run into uh, a lot in college at pretty much every bar like I ever went to. Like I would just always see you like everywhere. <laughs> um, but we never like actually sat and hung out. Um, so I'm excited for us to like actually like talk and chat and get to know each other better. But uh, my friend Brittany Mitchell is here with us. Brittany, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. She is a sign language interpreter, um, and uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about life, about love and fear, about mental health, about uh, all that good stuff. So yeah, how are you today? I am doing well. And what'd you do? Um, all day today. I finally got to sleep in, which is something nice. I never get to do anything anymore, is sleep in. Adult life, they don't let you know that you're going to have to uh, wake up early every single day of your life, even on weekends, so yeah. it was nice, slept in. Nice. Then I uh, tooled around, I went to a few different bars Solid. with Steve, and that's Fun. pretty much it. Shout out to Steve. Shout out to Steve. My guy Steve. <laughs> I don't know Steve, but hi Steve, nice to meet you, I'm Ben. Um, well, that's cool, um, had a little Sunday fun day. Mm -hmm. um, nice I know you, you mentioned... Uh, that before that you were having a little Sunday fun day, but I appreciate you blocking out uh, an hour to come uh, do Most this. Definitely appreciate it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I slept in yesterday. The longest I've slept in in a very long time. Yesterday I slept until twelve thirty. I never sleep in that. Like, and it was because I was hungover. I was really just trying to sleep off my fair. hangover. <laughs> um, but then I, I had like a podcast in like half an hour, and I'm like. Holy fuck, I gotta like get ready and shit. Uh, so, um, that was that was yesterday, but it, it was nice. It's it's nice, but also like, damn, I just slept the morning away. I know. You feel like being an adult, you have to be responsible with the time that you do have as free time, but this morning I just wasn't about it. Yeah. I slept in until I got up to eat food. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's, what, that's what draws you out of bed. <laughs> Good for you, though. Exactly, yeah. Sounds like you had a, a fun day, though. Yeah, um, it's so far. Yeah, what are you uh, doing for work nowadays? So for work right now, um, <clears throat> I graduated 2018 in May. Um, right away, I started working for a professional interpreting enterprise, which um, I'm not sure what all details you know about the interpreting field, but, um, or what I've told you in the past. I am not too familiar with it. Um, I, I mean, I've had friends that have done it. Shout out to Monica. Monica. Um, congrats on your wedding, Mon. I miss you. <laughs> Let's get together sometime soon. Um, yeah, Mon is like a good friend of mine that was an ASL major. But um, I know that recently, um, Jonathan Brostoff, uh, one of our local politicians here fought for a bill that would protect uh, deaf rights, uh, mm -hmm. just like deaf um, certifications and stuff like that. Um, and that was a huge win, I know, for our Wisconsin state legislator. Yeah. But that's about all I really know much about the field on a local scale. Yeah, so there are obviously more complex ways to 
explain it, but to break it down to layman's terms, there's basically two kinds of interpreting work that you can do. One is education, so K through 12, you go into the classroom and you interpret for small children, obviously K through 12, um, in the classroom setting. Mm -hmm. And then there's community, which is literally everything else. Mm -hmm. um, that could be post-secondary, like college interpreting, um, medical, legal, business, platform interpreting, any kinds like that. I'm a part of an agency, Professional Interpreting Enterprise, PI, that has a roster of interpreters and then employs them based on the needs that are out there in the community. Sure. So okay. like one day I could be in the kindergarten classroom, the next day I could be doing captioning for a post-secondary lecture. Word, okay. Mm -hmm. So my every day is completely different, every week is completely different. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. That's, well it's cool that you get, um, you're able to utilize your skills in various environments. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of people, they get nervous and they would rather know where they're going every day, know who they're going to talk to, where they're going to park their car, yeah. but at the end of the day, I think that I don't know where I'm going or who I'm going to be working yeah. with or where I'm going to park, which can be frustrating sometimes, yeah. but the other parts, right, yeah. I think it's the most exciting part sure. of my job. Yeah, I imagine you meet a lot of new people too. Oh, yeah. There's always a... Tons. There's room for... Uh, you know, surprises and uh, just, you know, you, I mean, it's kind of cool that you, you know, it's always just uh, something new, you know, there's a lot of growth in that, it oh, sounds yeah. like. Tons. So, yeah. I'm looking forward to, I mean, continuing just the way that I have been. Yeah. So, it's like, a, is it like a nine to five thing? Um, it kind of depends. My day starts really early and goes really late sometimes but I'll have chunks in the middle where I'll get to you know go home and make myself lunch or run some errands or something like that. Nap. Um, yeah right, nap. <laughs> I was trying to avoid that so hard. I was like don't say nap, don't say nap, but nap. Oh you gotta nap. Nap. Yeah. Have to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so sometimes it just is sporadic, it depends. Yeah. My longest day is on Mondays and Wednesdays. I start work at 8 a.m. in Whitewater and then I have yeah. to be back here and then I have night classes that go until 7.40. Oh, damn. So that's pretty long. Night classes for? Um, I caption for some courses at the university. Oh, word. Um, Milwaukee. I got you. Okay, sure. Um, yeah. Damn, so you, uh, yeah, you have an erratic schedule. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, those naps are valuable, you know, it's like when you're, when, I mean, like when you're just like running around like at just like all different times of day, I mean, you gotta, you gotta power up. I know. You drink a lot of coffee? I do. Solid. Which is so bad. <laughs> this morning, I remember, um, I forget when it was, but I just started to drag and I was yawning. I was like, you know what? I think I need to just chug a coffee. And I did. And I was prime time back in action, which is bad. It's a bad sign. I need to. Cut off. You cut were, myself off. You were up and at it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Nice. Um, oh, it's okay. I, I don't even have nearly the schedule that you have or anything like that. I drink copious amounts of coffee. Yeah. I just bought myself a big old thing of Folgers yesterday. Ooh, look at you. Oh Folgers. My God. It's like my mom. The That's classic mom. roast. <laughs> Yeah, the, yeah. The red jar. Yeah, the red. Yeah. Dude, that's what my mom drinks. Oh my god, yeah. Nice. That's that's what I live for. <laughs> it's um. Folgers. Yeah, I mean, before that, for a couple weeks, I was going on the uh, the Maxwell House wake up roast. Mm. It's 
It's trash. It is terrible. <laughs> it's in the big blue tin, not the red one. Have you seen the instant coffee? I, I don't even touch that. that. Yeah, I don't even touch the instant stuff. <laughs> That's just like okay, okay. I like I'm all for living cheap and living, you know, like buying like whatever is gonna like be most convenient or cheap. You know, I'm all for that. Being a low income adult, but I will still not just settle with my caffeine. I, like, I'm not, and I'm not saying I'm going to go all out, like, buying, like, you know, the pound of Pete's coffee, because that, I mean, that shit's real fucking good, but that, that shit is expensive. Folgers, classic roast, it's not the best, but it's, it's manageable. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go with the, the, the instant coffee, okay, that, that shit is... You just mix the boiling water, and literally the grounds just disintegrate. And you just make a cup of coffee. You don't have to strain it or anything. You know, or filter it. I, I, I'm fine with just the, the traditional <laughs> coffee pot that I have that's so falling... you do a coffee pot? You're not even on K-Cup squad. Fuck cake. Okay, fuck a Keurig. <laughs> I live for the... Fuck your K-Cup squad, dude. Fuck a Keurig, dude. Okay, for one, those are terrible for the environment. The plastic that's cups true. are, like... They're very, like... Harder to Let me disclaimer: I do a reusable K cup oh, yeah. with coffee grounds. I, I started doing that for a while, mm -hmm. um, but also just Keurigs just produce shit coffee. I I had one all through college, and the coffee just it, it just you know it's a lot. I I found that it's it's better. To, you have better tasting, stronger, and just more consistent coffee just using the regular pot. That's just what I've found. I mean, I'm not gonna knock people for using a Keurig. Even though, I mean, even though like, I just did. Even though I just did. I, it's, oh I'm just, I'm past that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I get the, I get the appeal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know I just right. like completely contradicted myself. But, right. I, I'll own it. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, but anyway, I, so yeah, I imagine you're drinking a lot of coffee, like just running around all day at different times a day. Yeah. It's um, it's interesting though because no matter what, I mean, it is at the end of the day something that I'm so passionate about. So yeah. it's it's not the same as driving yourself out of bed to get to that nine to five desk job that you mm -hmm. know is paying the bills, but you despise yeah. so much. You know, yeah. I'm really lucky to only be 24 and I have already found my passion like this. So yeah. that's awesome. Know, it works out. So. Good for you. That's 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 awesome. Uh, yeah. So that being said, um. I am actually interested in hearing a little bit about what, I guess, made you want to go into the ASL field, going yeah, into school. for sure. Um, warning, this is going to sound very elaborate in practice because people always ask me this, so I always have it, like, lined up oh, yeah. ready. Um, you have it, like, as a, like a, <laughs> a template. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Just saved right back here in this folder. I just, whoop, okay, here we go. So... When I was in high school, and even dating back to middle school, I was always super involved in the special education programs. Um, as a volunteer, as a mentor, whether that be outside of school or in school programs, mm -hmm. by the time I was a senior, I ended up um, qualifying in, a, sorry, um, participating in a program called Adaptive PE, oh, which yeah. was at the end of every day, it was the last hour of high school, my senior year. I would go in and do physical games with the special education students to kind of get their heart rate 
up and kind of get them starting to work out a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, through that experience, I met a student who was in the special education program named Sherry, who was deaf. And she had an interpreter follow her around and that kind of opened my eyes to the field in general. But then one of my mom's very good friends, Carrie, she also was an interpreter and she started educating me on the different opportunities that are out there, the kinds of interpreting work you can do. She taught me a little bit of sign as well as Sherry and gave me a sign name and everything like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I then last minute decided to just leap of faith and come to UW-Milwaukee for the program. But I didn't know any sign language. Sure. Any when I first got here. And you learned all that from courses and from basically from scratch. Yeah, um, so I came in and immediately started learning sign language when I was a freshman, 18 years old. Um, through all of those classes and then getting into the program, I obviously built a language, but the relationships and friendships that I've made with deaf individuals in the community here in Milwaukee is really what got me to where I am. Sure, mm -hmm. awesome. Um, well, that, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, yeah, and sometimes that's what it takes, you know, like meeting somebody who's impacted by an issue, um, you know, whether it's health, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's mental, physical, um, you know, part of a marginalized community. It's like when you, it takes meeting somebody and befriending them or just working with them to like sort of like find a, a, a passion for it or mm -hmm. find like a, a an eagerness to like want to help folks like that or to you know actually um, you know want to like make a, a career out of something like that so yeah yeah and it you know I was just talking to my roommate Jessica did you ever meet Jessica Ryback what's her last name Ryback I don't think she was so. best friends with Monica and I Shout out, <laughs> Shout nice out to Jessica. Nice to meet Je you, Jessica. Jess is my current roommate. Um, okay. and has been. She roomed with Monica and I last oh, year word. before she got married too. I'm just meeting so many people yeah, without even that. just through the camera right just now. Just through the camera. Just yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. But uh, her and I were talking about interpreting last night and how it is a field that instead of it's what I do, it's what I am kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, I recognize it as part of my identity. Um, and I don't think you say that about a lot of different jobs. I know a lot of people feel that way about like nursing or teaching or, um, help me out here. Um, I don't know any other things. Uh, you know, marketing or doing accounting or doing like anything involving like entrepreneurship. Yeah, like, like you're so passionate about what you do that it becomes a part of your identity, a part of your intersectionality instead of just being, oh, this is what I do for a living. It's what I am. Yeah, right. Like, Instead of, I would say, I work as an interpreter, I would say, I am an interpreter. Sure. I, I totally, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like so something that is so part of the essence that is you yeah. that, you know, you just, it's just something you identify with very closely and that's, it's something that will always be part of you. Exactly. Um, I would say that this show is me. Okay. Like... I mean, yeah, like, I can say, like, yeah, like, I do this, like, on the side, you know, like, I, I have a podcast. I could say I have a podcast, but instead I say I podcast, I guess, or, like... I am the podcast. I am, I am, this show is literally me, you know, it's like... <laughs> Your name, it's right here. Yeah, it's, you know, 
the, the lamp uh, <laughs> has been getting in the way, but... Um, I was going to say cool vibes, dude. Thank I you. Like the, I really like the album lamp. I, I've had this since I was like three. I've had this my whole life, actually. Seriously? Yeah. Um, it's hot. hot. Yeah. My mom, uh, my parents are trying to move. And um, when I was home in August, um, she was like, hey, well, uh, take anything you, you really want. Like, take it back up to Milwaukee with you. So I took this up and uh, made it part of the show. There you go. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Um, yeah, but uh, I, yeah, like, this is something I'm just so passionate about, believe in. It's something I know I'm going to be doing for, you know, the rest of my life, like, as I know it. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that has, I've grown through. It's something that I use to help people. Mm -hmm. And something that also just, you know, it, it enriches who I am, you know? Because I bring people into the conversation and get to know them and their passions. It's like, that's me. Like, this is me, you know? It's like, I could just say that, like, yeah, like, I... So like I like to podcast, but now like I podcast, I'm going to be podcasting. Just like mm -hmm. you are an interpreter, not just you know you do this like as a as a job. Mm -hmm. It's not a job; it's your life. It is, yeah. Which is interesting because you know at the end of the day, I am here because of the deaf community, and I think every single time that I talk about interpreting, and there are so many people who are like oh, bless you for the work you do, and you're such a helper, and you care so much about people. But really, it has everything to do with the opportunities that the deaf community provides for us. I think that's a huge misconception that people see interpreting as such a helper field, which it technically is, and I think that people who are in the field, they have the passion for helping facilitate communication. Right. Um, but you know it is because we are here due to the deaf community. So oh, yeah. yeah totally. I'm, super, I'm just super thankful to like be where I am now, and I think it all dates back to all the relationships I've made and mm -hmm. who have birthed me into this interpreter that I've become, you yeah, know? Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's, it sounds like there's like kind of two parts to that. There's like actually learning sign language and then there's interpreting for other people. I guess like what, how would you say like, like, um, so were you kind of just taking like the ASL courses first and then like the interpreting part of it like kind of comes as you progress? Yeah, Is that how it so works? kind of. So it's the two parts that you talk about, um, it can kind of be shown in the schoolwork that you do. So the way that I was able to do it, I was able to fit it in in four oh, years. Not everyone was as lucky as I was to be given the opportunity to do fall um fall, spring, and summer classes, so I powered straight through. Sure. Um, but it is broken down into two sections. So there's the prerequisite time where you're learning the language. So you take ASL 1 through 6, so six different semesters, mm -hmm. um, fall, spring, summer, fall, spring, summer, before you get into the ITP. Um, and that's where you learn the language. You take classes like deaf culture, deaf history, um, you'll participate in things like Deaf Awareness Week and different um, deaf community events to kind of get you acclimated. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you apply and you interview and screen for the program. That includes um, a multitude of things. There is a paper application, there is a test of English proficiency, there is a um, statement of interest video you have to 
um, film in all sign language. Then there's also a panel screening where they ask you questions and it's all in sign. Mm -hmm. Once you pass that process, um, you get into the program, which is then two more years. And throughout the two years, they basically set you up with opportunities to learn how to interpret. So you have a grasp on the language already. Are you proficient and fluent? Maybe not exactly, mm -hmm. but throughout this two-year program, they kind of throw you in baptism by fire. You're going, you're the interpreter for deaf individuals who are willing to work with a student, and um, you build yourself up that way sure. to eventually last semester, you do a full-time internship in the two rounds, K-12, like I said, education or community. Um, you do eight weeks in both. And then after that, you graduate, and then you move on to take certification exams. And so there is kind of two parts. Sure. There's sure. the learning and the foundations part, and then the more heightened, awesome. advanced learning. Yeah. I had a coworker when I worked at Moe's Irish Pub downtown. Ooh, uh, I never knew you worked there. Yeah, like three years ago. Oh, okay. For like oh. four months. Oh, okay. I was, was a host. Short lived. Oh, a host. Yeah. That's like a revolving door, so. Oh, uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, she was in ASO, and oh, okay. um, she, I remember, like, I, uh, she, like, taught me how to spell my name, which is, I think it's that, that, and that. That was so close. <laughs> okay, so it's that, B. Yep. E. N. Okay. There you go. <laughs> that's, ben. yeah. That, <laughs> this is Ben. That's me. Um, that was, uh, that's all she taught me. Oh, and she taught me why was like, isn't it like that? Why? Why up by your... Oh, by your, oh, okay. Why? Wait, your middle finger. Oh, middle finger? Okay. I'm not coordinated. <laughs> Are you left-handed? <laughs> uh, I'm ambidextrous. Oh, um, very cool. But I'm still not... It, that makes no difference for me, though. I'm just uncoordinated in general. Why? 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 I have, like, very bad, like, finger... Finger... Eye coordination. Finger eye coordination. Interesting. Yeah, like hand eye coordination is one thing, but like fingers, like I can't, it's really hard for me. I don't know why. Got it. And you know, I ever told you about my pinkies? No. How they stopped growing when I was five? Really? Yes, really. Do you see these? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah you have some tiny They're ass small. pinkies. So yours go up to this digit, okay. and mine go up to this digit. Oh, sure. Um, but anyway, so my dad used to call it my um, sign language speech impediment. <laughs> because my finger nice. pinky coordination is not too great. But I'm still an interpreter, and my hands are my livelihood. There you so. go. Awesome. Anyways, well, you can do it. Thank if you. If I can do it, you can do it. That's so empowering. <laughs> I'm here to inspire. It's all on the pinkies. <laughs> Uh, like I was always like in in high school I took Spanish um, that was my foreign language and I took it up to like the point where I didn't have to like take a foreign language in college mm -hmm. uh, yeah um, but then I don't know like I, I it's I mean I've retained some Spanish like I know like I can kind of understand it when like someone is like when I'm watching something I can kind of understand it or I know what certain words mean. I mean, I can't really like speak it, but if like, it, I don't know, it was, it was just hard with all the conjugations and whatnot. But, but like, if I wanted to like, I know that learning a language takes a lot of effort and patience and practice, mm -hmm. but I do want to learn ASL at some point in my life mm -hmm. because like, um, you know, I, like, from 
you know, knowing people that are deaf, like, it just really, like, I don't know, it was just, like, inspiring to, like, just, like, even, like, you know, the, the Sigma Chi guys, like, when I would see them at parties, I would get so, like, happy to see them, but it's, like, I couldn't just be, like, hey, like, you know, what's up, good to see you, it's, like, I'd have to, like, ask somebody in your a lot of the cases, it was you. It was me and somebody. Yeah, <laughs> and I'd have to, like, ask you, like, when I would see, like, Ben Wenzel. Um, shout out to Ben. Um, shout out to Ben. Shout out to Deaf. No, it was just really moving, you know, like, meeting people that were deaf, but, you know, they're they're just like everybody else. Like, they just communicate in a different way. And, right. and like, um, so, and being as, like, <clears throat> it was always really hard to, like, you know, use, like, to vocally like kind of learn a new language for me like I was so bad at like the speaking portions for Spanish mm -hmm. it's like you know I like I would just be really like fascinated watching people that were like you know interpreting and I really like was just kind of like I want to learn how to do that someday you know it's like when you watch somebody like playing a musical instrument and they're like um they're super like like, um, adept and skilled and like playing an instrument and you look at it and you're like, damn, I wish I could do that. And the thing is you can, you can take the time to learn anything you set your mind to do, but you know, it just, it takes time to do. So at some point I definitely do want to learn it. So. Yeah. No, a lot of people say that. I think it's, um, a very common thing for people to find out what I do immediately. It's either like, wow, how'd you get into that? Or I've always wanted to learn sign <laughs> Always. It's one yeah. of those two responses, which I totally get it because as someone who didn't know anything about the field prior to, that's what I would have responded which to. Which I asked you both of those things no, already. No, it's totally fine. Um, so it's, yeah. it's just very common, you know, mm -hmm. and that I would urge people like the deaf community is so much larger than you think it is and learning sign language is the key way to be able to facilitate communication between you and a deaf person. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you don't feel like you run into that many deaf people, it's so worth it. You know, uh, if you were to know enough to have a small conversation, I mean, right. you make their day, they make your day, it's all, I don't know, yeah, it works out. Exactly. Because I know Taylor and Ben and Parker, all those Sikai guys, um, the shout deafies, out shout out, um, they always had nothing but incredible things to say about you because they always said you were so nice <laughs> thanks guys <laughs> but um they know that you're a sweet guy and um i, I think that if that. you could surprise them and yeah do a little sign and even if it's you know a little uh, youtube tutorial or something like yeah. that maybe someone could tutor me or maybe like you know somebody that knows sign language that could help you i mean i yeah like you <laughs> you and mon and a couple other people like yeah. I, I know people that do it um, my friend Maggie also knows some signs. And as well. I think that one of the least talked about marginalized communities, that's also a very broad spectrum of like what, you know, how it affects certain people mm -hmm. is ableism. And people don't talk enough about like how socially like normalized, like there's like that, you know, able bodied normative life, like society that we live in where like, you know, whether folks are in, you know, whether they're confined to wheelchairs or they have difficulty, like, with movements or they have, you know, they can be deaf, they can be blind, they can be, you know, what have you, like, they have a disability. Um, you know, like, people, 
a lot of times just don't like they're they're like they don't think enough about how like a lot of facilities or re or like you know uh environments are you know accommodate folks you know yeah, like, um you know it's interesting I do obviously a lot of work with deaf individuals out in the community, but I also am a VRS interpreter, video relay service, which means I pop up on a screen when a deaf person wants to make a phone call. Uh, that's basically as much as I can break it down without explaining going off on an hour-long tangent about what it is. Uh, but a lot of times those deaf people will call to set up appointments. Uh, deaf individuals, hard of hearing individuals will use me, um, my voice, to set up in a an appointment or something, mm -hmm. and they will let the company know I'm going to need an interpreter provided, and the company will, a, a lot of the time, I won't say a majority of the time, because I do think that the general awareness of deaf individuals and the fact that they need captioning, interpreting some kind of um, accommodation, I think that it's more widespread now, but there are still companies who will go, we don't do that here. And it's like a basic human right yeah. under the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA, mm -hmm. passed a long time ago, um, that if a company has 15 or more employees, they are responsible for providing the interpreter. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah. a lot of companies still will be like, no. Right. And the deaf that person, point, yeah. At that point, they're out of luck, you know? Right. That's, that's just like, it's bullshit. Exactly. You know, to, be, to put it... Bluntly. And that's one of the things that um, Jonathan Brostoff, Representative Brostoff, he was talking about um, in the new bill that he was pushing for is a deaf commission um, that hopefully will be able to, you know, get up and running. That deaf people will be able to bring their grievances to. Um, I think that is one of the one of the major goals. Word. You know, out of sure. this. So. Oh well, that's. And that being said, um, yeah, like. I guess I'm interested in how you perceive, like, so that, like, that example you just provided is an example of, like, you know, how, you know, uh, hard of hearing folks are still, you know, oppressed in that way, um, in, in a classic ableist fashion. Um, I guess, like, how, like, how do you feel, like, what are some, like, little things that, um, I know we talked about we talked about it a little bit already, but like, what are some little things you think that like, you know, average folks that you know want to like help, like be an ally to like the deaf community, like little things that they can do that can like, you know, make things more accommodating, more accessible, more inclusive for folks that are hard of hearing. I'd say the biggest thing is. A lot of individuals base their complete idea of the deaf community off of their one deaf friend or their two deaf friends um, or hard of hearing or maybe they label themselves some still hold on to the term hearing impaired which is some like outdated vocabulary that still some people use um, so I think what I would urge people to do is open your mind to the idea that deaf people are all over the charts, you know, like some people are deaf, some are hard of hearing, some can hear a little bit but label themselves as deaf. It really is up to their discretion. And I think we as 
people who don't understand what it's like from their perspective need to establish a level of normalcy um, to the fact that they are all over the place, you mm -hmm. know, and their identity is their identity. What they choose to do, whether that is use accommodations for interpreting or captioning, or maybe they just utilize hearing aids or cochlear implants, whatever is best for them is what needs to be normalized in that very situation. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people will have one deaf cousin or one deaf friend who yeah. wears hearing aids and reads lips really well. So the next time they meet someone else who could be one of the Sig Kai guys that you know, yeah. it's not the same way, you know. Exactly. Are they so incredibly sweet and will do anything to try and flex to be able to communicate with you? Of course, but that's because they're great people, you know. Right, right. And um, and they're they're familiar with me too. Exactly. You know, it's like they know they've known me for a long time, and uh, you know we party together. Yeah. Like, but I that can't. But that's like a sense of comfortability that not everyone is going to have exactly. with me, you know. And to just know that deaf people are just like any of us in the fact that, you know, maybe they're having a bad day and they don't want to try to read lips at that moment. Or maybe it would be best if you could try to sign or do a little bit of finger spelling or write back and forth. Every person is different. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's like a main theme, if I could tell the hearing people everywhere something yeah, totally. is the main theme is that everyone's different so to try and just go for what they're comfortable with absolutely i think that yeah like it'd be cool to start seeing asl normalized as being taught in schools like a lot more like growing up which is so cool yeah yeah like i like i think that that would be that would make people just so much more like, uh, for one, it can help people find passion in it a lot more easily as they're growing up. Yeah. But two, it can just, I think if everyone knew, even if it's just basic signing, you know, like, you know, some, like, if people had some, like, even if it's like a, a basic understanding of it, that could go a long way. Oh, most definitely. I, yeah. Learning basic signs and knowing finger spelling or something like that yeah. is going to go a long way. Definitely. Right. Because, like, you know, because people that are just, like, people that, you know, are too lazy to do it, to learn it, you know, it's like, that's, uh, you know, it's like we're, we're at, we feel that way out of privilege in the same way, you know, like, you have privilege in, you know, whether it's like we're white or, in my case, I'm a man. Like, those are privileges I have, too, and, like, you have to acknowledge that we have privilege, um, and it, people don't think about, like, whether you can hear or whether you can see, whether you can, you know, like, walk, you know, those are privileges, too, that other folks don't have. Yeah, and I think a good way to look at that, a really great example of it, is the fact that interpreters are not just provided for deaf people, they're provided for hearing people to communicate with deaf people as well. Mm -hmm. We're not just there for the hearing, or the, just the deaf consumer, we're there for the hearing consumer as well. Um, and so interpreting is not a service that's only provided to deaf people. Of course, the deaf person is present, yeah. um, or deaf or hard of hearing. I keep saying deaf, but I do mean there are so many different terms that someone sure. can yeah. identify as. Um, I'm just used to saying deaf a lot. Mm -hmm. But um, there is, of course, a deaf or hard of hearing consumer there, but that I'm there for both parties, you know? And so um, we are privileged to the fact that we never had to learn sign language growing up because we could hear. 
Um, and that also goes with the people we grew up around. I don't know if you had any deaf people in your school. I had, honestly, my only exposure, like, those Sig Kai guys are the first deaf people I've ever met. And I went to a huge high school. The only, like, exposure I had to anyone who was, like, hard of hearing was my uncle. And he he, he can hear, he just can't hear very well. Like, you just kind of have to, like, speak loud. Like, when you're talking to him, um, he, like, wears an implant. But that was it. I had, like, virtually, like, little to no exposure besides that. Right. I think that's actually really cool because those three guys did a lot of... Um, exposure of deafness to a lot of people on campus and mm -hmm. I think that goes down as something like that was a huge learning opportunity for a lot of people I know myself included you um, anyone from their fraternity I mean there yeah. were a lot of people who were impacted by those oh, relationships yeah. with them so. really was and still are like I haven't seen those guys in, in a long time but yeah, you know forever. but they did like they really do like you know change your perspective on like something like that it's like this is who they are mm -hmm. and you know that's just something that it's it's humbling you know yeah. it's like um and it's really inspiring too um that's all really important stuff and um even i feel like i learned so much like based on everything you had to share yeah about no definitely interpreting like endless books so if ever yeah. if ever you need other advice yeah. oh <laughs> I gotcha. I, I will, I'll probably have some follow-ups, you know? Some follow-ups. Yeah. So, uh, another thing that I wanted to kind of shift on uh, that we um, wanted to talk about, um, and uh, you uh, had spoken that you were comfortable sharing, uh, I wanted to talk about mental health um, and I guess like how, because you have a really personal experience with the subject, um, if you would care to share how it's affected you and your family. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so, I am an only child. Um, I don't have any siblings. Uh, and I just had my parents. My mom and dad, mom, Beth, dad, Mike. Um, and, you know, we were super close as a family growing up. And um, it was never really any problems. I mean, my parents are both wildly outgoing, very personable people, amicable, very flexible. Um, and it just so happened that my dad was dealing with some mental health issues that we were unaware of. Um, after, let's see, I'm trying to think of, I was out of town um, for a dance competition. Um, nationals for PDT actually oh, for UWM. Nice. Um, I was in Orlando and my mom had come on the trip. My dad had to stay back home um, because he had shifts at his part-time job that he was working that he couldn't get off for. So he was really bummed about it but my mom left him at home and came to visit me and watch me compete in my last year competing with UWM. And um, when we came back home he wasn't there to pick her up, um, so we had a great deal of confusion on that end, um, and to spare you the details on it, mostly to spare me from the details, um, eventually we ended up finding out he had taken his own life while we were in Orlando. Um, there, really, there really aren't any words for 
how it felt, um, mostly because I feel like it all happened so quickly. It's almost like it wasn't the amount of emotions that was scary, it was the lack of emotion, almost. Um, I don't know if you've ever lost anyone to suicide or not. Um, I, so, not like anyone I've been particularly close to, um, but we, suicide was a serious issue in my high school. Um, my senior year of high school, we had, I think it was three suicides. One of them was a teacher. And it was, uh, it was horrifying. Like, mm -hmm. the day after um, the, our, one of our teachers, he was a theater teacher, uh, after he took his own life, it was like the most horrible day of school of probably any of our lives, like up to that point. Like, yeah, it's, it's kind of what, what you said, it's like a numbness. You know, um, I think that your your brain just like can't just process something like that impactful right away, you know? Right. And, you know, after the fact, it was a lot of um, right away, there was a lot of, okay, we got to figure out prepping for a funeral. We have to figure out, you know, what we're going to do. We have to send his death certificate to X amount of places to get services cut off. Like, so many things that it actually happened um, over winter break between first and second semester of our junior year of college. Okay. So I was in my first semester of that second part mm -hmm. of school, yeah. um, and it was right between those semesters, and I had one week before school started again. So I stayed with my mom for a week, and then um, we got everything settled. We moved her out of the house completely. Um, got everything that she didn't need right away into a storage unit that we'd be able to go through. Otherwise, um, we moved her into Candlewood Suites, which is a long-term stay hotel uh, near my hometown in around Fitchburg, Wisconsin, oh, near right. Madison. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so Candlewood Suites, we lodged her there, and I stayed with her for that whole week, and then the next week, school started syllabus week, but then I went right back to school. Um, which is really the decision that saved me. Um, I am someone who needs to put my all into everything. I'm a busy bee by nature. I would rather go and work at my fun job as a bartender um, all day instead of having a day to myself. Oh, yeah. I just survive that way, you sure. know? Yeah. And so jumping right back into school was something that really saved me to the point where I did experience a lot of backlash grieving, probably um, just this past year and the year before. It'll be three <laughs> years for my dad in January. Sure. Um, but it really, I mean, being an only child, it kind of put a lot on me to the point where I was doing a lot. I was doing a lot to try and be there for my mom, and she was doing a lot to try and be there for me. So it was kind of like we were exhausting each other. Mm -hmm. Um, but it did bring us a lot closer, and it's something that you can't really prepare for, and I still have a hard time voicing really how it has impacted my life. Mm -hmm. um, because it's something that you do not realize is spoken about so easily until it has affected you. Um, like with how suicide culture is romanticized in a lot of social media today, memes talking about how, oh, I'd kill myself, or 
um, that makes me want to jump off a bridge. Yeah. You know, stuff people, like yeah. that. I never liked when people humorize stuff like that either. And it's it's really sickening and I've used my social media profiles to try and speak out against it, but it's to a certain extent I'm only mm -hmm. Brittany Mitchell from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you know, I'm not some big head honcho that can use this giant platform to speak right. out against mm -hmm. romanticizing suicide and um, the stuff you post on social media. Yeah. So. And normalizing language that, you know, even if it's figuratively like talking about suicide, it's like, you know, people don't realize that, you know, stuff like that shouldn't be like, even if it's used hyperbolic. Exactly. It just shouldn't be used. No, just in general. I mean, I think there are so many <clears throat> other ways that you can depict how you're feeling about something. Like, like, did that math test really make you want to end your life? Probably not. And if it did, that's really scary. And I hope that you could come to me or go to somebody to talk about it. Um, but if it really wasn't, I mean, what's the point in saying it right you know you can negatively connotate your feelings towards taking a math test without implying you wanted to end your right. state of existence yeah yeah right exactly um well um thank you for sharing that um and i mean my condolences to your loss um that it happened that way and that in those circumstances um the ideation of someone who's so important to you that's such a um, integral figure in your life to think of them not being any being there anymore is like it is really fucking scary it's one of the scariest thoughts like ever um, and I think that um, you you like kind of hit a spot on when you said like you don't you can't prepare for something like that and people don't like realize like you like you truly don't know even people you feel like you're is like your people you feel are your best friends in the world people you feel like you know inside and out you know you you still might not know something about them exactly like my dad you can talk to literally anybody. He was the greatest person. I mean, everyone says that their dad's the best or their mom's the best, you know, but I can confidently say that my dad last, he left such an everlasting impact on every life that he touched. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's the happiest ones that you would never expect to be struggling. And a huge comparison for me, it sounds cheesy, but Robin Williams. I was just going to think, yeah. So my dad, I mean, I wish you could have known him. You would have loved him then, and he would have loved you. Like, oh. it's just, he was the most incredible, nerdy, unapologetically himself, vast wealth of useless knowledge. Like, he was just, he never knew a stranger. He was the most incredible mm -hmm. guy, and you would never know that he was hurting the way he was. And I think, in a way, it made things worse, almost, because to us, he was this happy-go-lucky yeah. individual that could never hurt a fly, and then um, you couldn't even fathom that he would do that to himself. You know? Yeah. Robin Williams, like, that's one that, 
that just like shocked the world. I remember when like that happened and everyone was like, you would never have any idea. And like people have such a like, mental picture of like what depression or anxiety or other forms of mental illness look like, like physically. They think of somebody that just like, you know, is like, you know, overtly like sad and mean to people or just, you know, really like put their issues out on other people all the time or they like, you know, can't leave bed. Like, well, and well, like there are plenty of people like that that are mentally ill. It can also come in the form of people that you that appear to be full of joy, um, and uh, like mental health. That, and that's like kind of that's the point here is that like, it does have determining factors. Like you know, there are signs that people like that like that um, experts like have um, like uh, put forward like think like signs that someone might be like you know think might be suicidal or might be struggling with like this or that but um but it doesn't have like a um a def it doesn't have a defined like way way it looks you know like literally anyone you know could be suffering from it you would have no idea like i've met people that I would have never guessed suffer with this or that, mm -hmm. but they do until you either ask or you make them comfortable enough to where they feel like they can talk about it with you. And even then you might still not know. Exactly. And I think it goes along with experiencing depression firsthand um, or, you know, suicidal thoughts um, or something like that. But it also goes into the people that uh, suicide has affected you know there's a lot of like backlash that comes on to the family friends loved ones um, of someone who takes their own life and that's something that I don't think gets enough attention uh, even a lot of times now people who know me or are in conversation with me will let some sort of suicide phrase or little bit of romantic romanticizing suicide like sentence slip out and will immediately freeze like oh I'm so sorry so it's because they are aware of my situation whereas a lot of people are not and just basic day-to-day -day conversations with those little snippets and those microaggressions of mm -hmm. suicide culture is enough to like debilitate me for a day you know so yeah. I think really thinking about the way that you communicate with people and the way that you engage just around people in public mm -hmm. is like a huge part of it too. Yeah. It's not just those who are experiencing depression firsthand. It's the ones that are affected by it as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that's, that's a really, really important point to make. Like, because, you know, it's like whether someone intend, like, like people aren't going to intend to like, offend you but like I think one of the hardest parts about suicide um or just any death really um I did have a friend in high school who died in a car crash um I'm sorry to hear that thanks um yeah it was it was like also a huge shock like to like my whole um 
it was this, it was the summer between our sophomore and junior year of college, um, and um, it was terrible. I was in line for a concert when I found out. Um, yeah, and then we went to uh, I went home for her wake, and the most dreadful part I remember, and whether it's suicide or something else, cause of death, like I feel like the hardest part to deal with like internally about it like besides the fact that like you know this person passed away and you know you're never going to see them again like it's hard not knowing how to feel or like not knowing what the proper like emotional like response is like that's like one of like the hardest parts I remember like when I dealt with loss like it's like you know, there's going to be people that cry. There's going to be people that are angry. There's people that are just going to be completely numb. And I, I was one of the numb ones. Like, I wanted to feel everything that I could, but I couldn't force myself to. And that's like, and I think that, and you might have experienced this too, because you said that you were numb as well. Like, kind of like, it's just so much to process, but like some of those feelings definitely like um they show up as time goes on like that feeling of grief like the grieving like the sadness or the anger or you know like the emotions that you that people um expect to feel when something like that happens like sometimes it doesn't hit you until later on and i feel like that happens to me a lot um, like, did that kind of happen to you too? I would say I'm still, still to this day dealing with a lot of, um, like I had said, backlash emotion, emotions, backlash grieving. Um, and it is enough to the point where I can talk about it without breaking down because there's still a part of me that hasn't fully accepted that this is my fate, you know? When I think about big landmark times in my life like graduations and birthdays and um like thinking about the fact that my dad won't be there for my wedding day you know mm -hmm. things like that are what gets me because those feel like real life things that i'm gonna miss out on mm -hmm. other than that though i feel like it's so much easier to live in a state of semi-denial than it is to fully accept all of the grieving steps that you have to go through. Mm -hmm. So like on the day of my dad's funeral, um, I remember, you know, waking up and getting in the shower, shampooing, conditioning, washing my face just as if it was a normal shower, you know, mm -hmm. and then getting out and getting ready. And once we got to the place, I just remember like getting choked up during some of the line when people come to greet the family. Um, but for the most part, you know, I was pretty unemotional, emotionless, really. Mm -hmm. um, I got up and I delivered my dad's eulogy, like, and it was comforting and it was nice to be able to talk about my dad in that way, but I still wasn't emotional because I really hadn't fully expected. Mm -hmm fully accepted yeah. what 
was going on. And I still think there are parts of myself that haven't fully accepted it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this healing journey is going to be a long one, and I know that it's going to be lifelong in a sense that I will always think about this and how it's impacted my life, but I'm still, I feel like, in the very beginning stages of accepting yeah. what my life is now. I'm proud of you for, like, having so much, like, self-awareness with that, like, knowing that, like, you're still, there's still a lot that you will have trouble with, like, over time, you know, accepting it and still being in that quasi-denial. Um, I, yeah, I think that with my friend that died in high school, like, or my friend from high school that died when we were in college, like, I think I'm still there, too. One of the most important things that you can take away from the loss of a loved one is to, we really also need to just normalize, like, letting our loved ones know how much we care about them and tell them we love them and go out of our way to, like, you know, make someone's day. Like, just be just be a kind person and just be, like, good to people that you love. Yes, be kind. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> But, like, being just, you know, like, being, like, you know, recognizing your friends and people that are important to you and telling them how much you love them and, like, gassing them up every chance you get, you know, obviously still making it genuine, but, like, you know, normalizing that because you never know, like, you know, something is going to happen to somebody that you love. You never know. And the thing about being kind it's so easy it's so easy and I do know that it eventually wraps back to how you feel about yourself I'm sure but I just feel like throughout my entire life I always had people saying oh Britt you and not to toot my own horn I don't necessarily believe this but being like oh Britt you're the nicest person I know you're so nice you're so kind I don't know how you do it but it's kind of like it's not even a choice really you just mm -hmm. let yourself be your most genuine self and the relationships you have with people, investing yourself in them, investing time into building relationships with people you want to get to know better, investing time in a relationship where they seem to pull away a bit because they're dealing with some shit. Mm -hmm. And you get in there and you invest yourself and you're just, you're kind and you're genuine. And I think it's the easiest thing and most rewarding thing I've ever done in my entire yeah. life. And I think so many people, they act like they couldn't possibly. Or it seems like it would take everything out of them to just be nice. Yeah. That's so fucking real, like, snaps of that. Because, yeah, like, I'm the same, dude, I'm the same way. Like, people have said the same thing to me. Like, you're, like, how, like, they think I'm so nice and that they, like, feel... Like we deserve some award yeah, and I'm like, for being genuine people. Right, like, just being, like, kind to people or, like, that they feel comfortable talking to me or talk comfortable talking to you, like, you know, I mean, yeah, I kind of branded myself after people <laughs> calling me, like... Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, like, I perceive myself as somebody who's nice but that's only because it's been a recognized like trait of mine whereas like why is that so like special you know like 
it's really just the way everybody should be treating each other is just to be nice. And like, and that doesn't go like, I have plenty of flaws. Like I've fucked up. I've been oh, a douchebag in the past. Like we don't I, even need to get our yeah, flaws. Like right I've, that's a whole other episode. Oh, totally. If you want flaws. Oh yeah. Like I can, I like, I can still like, you know, be shitty sometimes. Like and I, I accept that, you know, but I think that, you know, like you said, like, it's not like, it's not, it's really fucking easy to be nice to people and to oh. be there for people. Like, even if it's a simple how are you or yo how are you doing like or just checking in with somebody like it's it's so easy you know and i'm just i get i get like appalled by how many people are just really mean and rude mm -hmm. like especially in the service industry yeah which we don't need to tangent no, off on now right. but we we can do a whole saga about oh. this but like <laughs> I've encountered some people that are just so mean, and I like, and somebody like like my, like myself who like I'm just like I'm a very empathetic person, and like I believe in giving goodness to others because I just feel like it just does right by the world, it does right by me. I feel like I grow and be a better person if you're just kind to people. Even if you have differences with them, you still have to, you should still be kind to them. And, like, I, I, I just don't understand it, you know? Like, especially, I don't know if you felt this way, too, since, I mean, you're wearing the Be Kind shirt. Um, so I definitely, I don't know how you, like, your experience with this, but I've encountered some of the nastiest people I've ever met that constantly preach about how, how people should be kind to others. Like, I think being kind and the concept of being your best self, putting nice and kindness into the world, I think it's honestly turned into a social construct where people are buying into this idea of being kind, but they don't necessarily portray the same they characteristics. Don't practice it, they don't yeah. practice what they preach, exactly. Right, yeah. um, and it all comes down to selflessness versus selfishness and what you're willing to give up for someone else or maybe the opposite what you're willing to do to someone else to get something for yourself i mean it all goes hand in hand and i think at the end of the day it is the kind of person that we are we are empaths and i was just talking with jessica shout out to jess again last night um about how being an empath you always want to be at 100 percent to provide for other people and you know sometimes eventually the caregiver needs to be taken care of too oh, yeah. you know and so i think that there are a certain amount of us out there in the world and we were sent there to try to make everybody else feel better mm -hmm. but there is a difference between someone who preaches being kind and someone who is actually kind yeah yeah that's a great distinction mm -hmm. um and on the note of like suicide and also on the note of just mental health, another thing I need like people really need to understand is how much mental illness is oversimplified. Like when people say like, oh yeah, like, you know, get help, like don't be afraid to like talk, like, you know, like get help and support. It's like that is such a like it 
to me, as someone who struggles, like, has struggled so severely with mental illness, like, throughout my life, like, it irks me a ton when people, like, like, just make treatment or acknowledging mental illness, like, as if it's so simple, like... Like, there's a one-all, be-all solution to having mental health, a mental health condition. Yeah. Exactly. Like there's not. <laughs> no, it's so it is entirely subjective to the individual suffering. Like what is their proper course of action? It could be talk therapy. It could be exposure therapy. It could be medication, which there's many different classes of medication. It could be, you know, outpatient hospitalization, inpatient hospitalization, holistic uh treatment like like lifestyle changes such as dieting or exercising or sleeping or um you know uh it could be um it could be a mix of several of those you know like it's not a one-size-fits-all thing and also another thing is like the suicide hotline too like people will share the suicide hotline a ton mm-hmm. i don't know how you feel i mean it's a it's a great resource but me, like, I don't see myself ever calling the suicide hotline. I'd have more closure, like, actually just putting myself away into, like, an inpatient facility if I really felt, like, suicidal. Um, that's just me, though. Like, that, the, the suicide hotline, like, I don't, for, I don't see it as, like, a viable option for myself. Like, that's not something that would make me feel better, necessarily. But it might for many other people, and that's totally great, and that's wonderful, and that it's there for that reason. But mm-hmm. that's like an example. Is like people need to understand that, like when you're talking about mental illness, like it's like people struggle with like how, like what it means to like actually be there for somebody. Like a lot of times, like you can have the best of intentions when you're when you. When one of your friends or loved ones is struggling with mental illness, but you know, like some people don't really know what to properly say, and I don't blame them for it. Like it's okay, right. you know, like no. And I think that's actually funny you mentioned that because I, in every conversation I've ever had with someone who ends up asking about my parents, and then I tell them, you know, I lost my dad a few years ago. The follow-up question is always, "Oh, how did he pass?" And I always preface this with, I realize that this is going to feel impossible to respond to, and I want you to know that I'm comfortable if you're comfortable just sharing just a little bit of silence after it so you can process it, because I am well aware that it's something that's hard to respond to as like a conversationalist. Just, I mean, having, being close friends with someone who goes through something is one thing, but also just conversating with someone who shares an intimate detail like that, um, it can be really uncomfortable. Right. You know, and back to the whole one-size-fits-all thing with mental health, I think the whole 1-800, the hotline that you can call into, if it works for people, obviously that is incredible. Do I see myself ever using it? Maybe not necessarily, but I also don't know if I've gotten to a point where I feel like I need to. Yeah. Um, But... I do know that this is a great example of how we will never like be done. We will never be done 
trying to expose people to mental health awareness. We will never be done searching for therapeutical ways or medications mm -hmm. or activities or programs. We will never stop. It's not something that has an end goal. Right. That's that's so true. It's something that is an internal it's an internal conversation to have because there will never be like, okay, we solved it. You know, like it's not some epidemic like we cured depression, you know, right. or we cured this or that, you this know. This or that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it's going to be different for everybody. And some people will do it by themselves, other people will need a lot of support um, and uh, like need their circle to really support them through that and I think that the best thing you can do as, as an individual that wants to that just really wants to help you know check in when I've been in dark places that's what's reminded me that there's beauty in this life is when someone cared enough to like talk to me and, rec and recognize me, you know? Um, I think that's the best thing anyone can do. Like, you don't have to put pressure on yourself to like, you know, be the, be the, the saving grace to somebody's issues because you can't be, you know? And you cannot take that responsibility on yourself. You know, the best thing you can do is support your friend, you know. They're not even always going to be asking for advice. They just need to tell somebody something. And being open to what they need because comforting one person with a mental condition or anything mm -hmm. of sorts, maybe they're just feeling down in the dumps one day. It's not an actual clinical depression. Mm -hmm. Being open to what they need and filling whatever void they think fit. You nailed it. And <laughs> nailed it. it. And that goes with romanticizing mental illness, similar to romanticizing suicide. But we don't have to get into that because I hope by now you've picked up on... Uh, Brittany, well, this is a beautiful conversation about ASL, about interpreting, about... Oh, oh, yeah, there you go. About mental illness, about, uh, you know, how to talk about... Um, you know, being an ally to mental health and whatnot, like awareness, it's, um, it's, it's really important to be talking about this in a way that, you know, we can all be there for each other. <laughs> so Brittany, tell me what keeps you up at night. What keeps me up at night? Oh my gosh. Um, I am a worrier that my alarm for the next day is not going to go off. Oh, I worry about that too. <laughs> yeah. So I wake up like every hour. Yeah. Pretty much. I, I, I've, I've been there before too. Yeah. It's like, you're going to like, like you forgot to set it for some reason yeah. or you're going to sleep through it. Or you're on, um, do not disturb. You ever put your iPhone on yeah. do not disturb? Oh, I have done that. Often. Before. I do that often. Shit. A little too often. Shit. <laughs> what puts you to sleep though? I think the thought that I'm confident I will wake up the next day. And that I get another day to impact the world and do what I love to do. That's beautiful. I know. I'm so glad. <laughs> Today was fun. I'm so happy you're here. Yes. You are You are a ray of sunshine. Oh, like, you are so amazing are and very awesome. inspiring. And uh, I'm, I'm just, thank you for sharing everything that you shared because yeah. not everyone can. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. You're very great. welcome.
Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. Mr. We'll see you next time. We're out. <laughs>